Chapter 4, From a Life of Self to a Life in Faith. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Let's look at the words of this passage and see what we can learn from Paul. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul is saying he has been put to death. All the operating systems of his fleshly ways have and are being surrendered and being put to death by the cross. Just as Jesus was crucified and killed, Paul is saying that he identifies with Christ through the crucifixion and death of his own flesh. So he can now live from the resurrected life and enter into the life he was created for, the new man. Paul knows he is now a new creation in Christ, and he is determined to live from this new created order by the power of the Spirit. It was Paul himself who wrote Philippians 3, 10 to 11, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and have fellowship with his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul had come into the life of 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 19. Hence, it is him who writes these words. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Paul knew firsthand that the word of the cross is a word of absolute life and power. He had transitioned from believing it was a stumbling block and a word of foolishness to knowing it was a word of abundant life. It is from this place, he says, and it is I who no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer has a place of existence in Paul. The God of self has been and is being put to death. I no longer has its way anymore. The temple of self must come down and be abolished if we are to live by faith in Jesus. Everything is changing from this moment on. There is a shift of the guard and the removal of one God and the establishing of the true God in Paul's heart and mind. 2 Corinthians 4, 7-10 But we have this treasure in earth and vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. To live from this place of Christ being manifested in his body is a new reality for Paul, but one he is experiencing and living from. Having Christ in him and living from this position is his reality, and although Paul is not saying he is becoming a mini-God, he is saying that the life that was in Christ is literally being formed and established in him. Paul knew that this life of Christ that was being formed in him by the Spirit was literally giving life to his physical body. And this is to be our reality too, if we are to imitate Paul. Romans 8.11 But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit 
who dwells in you. Paul was now living from the position of Christ living in and coming through him. His mortal body was being radically affected by the life of Christ being manifested in him. Paul had the resurrection power of God operating in him, and it was this power that he lived his life from. It is this dimension of abiding in Christ that enables him to live for God and not himself. Colossians 1.29 For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. The eternal life expressed. Maybe this will now help us understand how the man could say being whipped, beaten, shipwrecked, hated, persecuted, and put in prison was momentary light affliction. All this is made possible because he had been crucified with Christ by the Spirit and not by the letter of the law. If we are going to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ, then we need to experience every aspect of Paul's process. We cannot skip the parts we don't like and only receive the parts we like. Paul's process is an all or nothing process. Look at the next part of this declaration of truth. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. The reason Paul is able to live this reality out now is because Christ is being manifested in his body. The transition of living by faith in Jesus, as opposed to living by faith in oneself, is all made possible because of this process of receiving living manna from on high. It's the formation of Christ's life in us that enables the activation of this new way of living. Christ's life is literally living in the man. Paul was no longer trusting in himself, what he thought, or in his own strength to accomplish things. He realized that living like this was futile and had him living in a completely opposite way to the way God would have him live. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I wonder how many of us are still living by faith in ourselves, in the wisdom of man, rather than by faith in Christ. Paul makes it his purpose to let everyone know that the message and the preaching he brought were not in persuasive words of wisdom. He said this so man wouldn't put their faith in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2.5 So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Faith in God's power, not man's wisdom. How many of us are still firmly in control of our own lives, trusting in ourselves and our own abilities, determining who we will live for and what in fact we will live and how? This is called the wisdom of man. We live like this because unlike Paul, we are still living. We are still not prepared to present our bodies as a living sacrifice as Paul urged us to. Romans 12 verse 1 Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The giving up of our life is our true act of spiritual worship. This is why Paul urges us, by the mercies of God, to present our bodies as a sacrifice. Does this sound familiar to what Abraham and Isaac had to go through and how Abraham was going to offer his son up to God as a sacrifice? How many of us see our own lives as our own still? Jesus promises us if we lose our life for his sake, 
we will find our lives. We are so confused today because many think worship is just the singing of songs to God as opposed to giving our entire lives and allowing our Father to mold us into his perfect image. This is our predestined destiny in him as his people called the church. Romans 8, 28-30 And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. That is his eternal purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. I wonder if this is the reason many do not have this incredible abundant life within them. We resist the actual process God has put in place for this work to be done, and we come up with our own multiple ways to deflect this true work being done. Of course, we do this all in the name of Jesus. Paul was a man who went through the God-given process to receive the God-given life, and he spoke of this when he said, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If we truly want to imitate Paul, we must become a people who live our lives by faith in Jesus Christ. We must be a people who have crossed over the great divide from blindness to sight. We must be a people who hand over the control of our lives to Christ. We must be a people who live their lives by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We must live from the operating system of God and not man. Faith that sees. So what is this faith that we are to live by in Jesus? Hebrews 11.1 1 teaches us what biblical faith is. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 2 says, For by it the men of old gained their approval. In simple terms, faith is the ability to see the unseen. Faith sees into the realm of the spirit, the unseen but seen reality, and it is because of this sight that a power conviction is birthed called belief. We now have an unwavering belief, being fully convinced of God and the truth he declares, and we live this belief out. The passage below is the classic example of what I am referring to. Romans 4, 19-22 Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. The entire Bible is full of living promises to be received, realized, and then lived from by God's people. Can we see these living promises that are in the unseen realm of the kingdom? This is why Hebrews 11.2 says that the men of old gained approval by this kind of faith. Not any kind of faith. Faith is not wishy-washy or half-hearted. It isn't yes and no, because all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. It was Abraham's faith in God that was accredited to him as righteousness. Hence he is known as the father of faith. 
The faith I am declaring that we are to live from in Jesus is an unwavering, absolute, unshakable, immovable kind of faith that produces an absolute confidence, conviction, and assurance of Christ in us. It's a faith that sees and knows. I hope we captured the enormity of this faith, that the men of old gained their approval, their righteousness in God, not by the sacrifice of an animal, but by their faith in God. As we know, there was no animal sacrifice that could cleanse sin, as it was a shadow of the true sacrifice in Christ, until Christ would become our once and for all sacrifice. Hebrews 10 verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It was the reality of their faith, the reality of the truth realized, known, and acted upon in obedience to Christ that made them righteous, which empowered them to live righteously. This faith sees the unseen spiritual reality that exists in God and lives from it, not towards it. People's lives literally reflect the measure of faith that they have within them, whether they live in faith or fear, whether they live for themselves or for him and others. How they are preparing and being made ready or not is all determined by this ability to see. Faith brings immovable confidence and conviction. Let me give you an example of this from 2 Kings 6, 15-17. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha can see something that his servant can't. He has a measure of faith operating within him that his servant does not have. And this becomes clear in the way he acts. The servant is in fear at the sight of an army with horses and chariots, while Elisha is in faith and speaks from this position of faith what he can see. You can almost feel the fear as you read the servant's words. Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha's words in response to his servant are words of faith, assurance, and confidence. Do not fear. He speaks the opposite to what he is hearing and seeing coming forth out of the mouth of his servant. He counteracts the language of fear with the language of faith. The words of fear have to be apprehended and cut off before they have time to take root and start living. And Elisha's response to these words is swift and sudden. Elisha's words are words of life and power because of what he can see. They carry incredible weight because of his ability to see the army that was there to support them. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. These aren't empty words that Elisha is scrambling to find because of the situation he finds himself in. These words of life are anchored into the reality of what he knows. The unwavering belief and absolute conviction of what he can see is where these words come from. These words come from faith, the unseen seen realm. Words of power. Unfortunately, 
Too many followers profess words over their own lives today that are not anchored in this kind of faith. This kind of faith comes from revelation, not proclamation. They are his words quoted by us, but they lack power because they are not anchored in this reality of faith, conviction, and unwavering belief. We may as well be quoting words from the latest self-improvement book because the impact is going to be the same, nothing. I remember a while ago being in a gathering of God's people where a man got up and read from a particular passage and then said, the word of the Lord has been spoken. What made me chuckle a little was that he even said this in a very 17th century kind of voice, as if this was going to make it sound more powerful. Unfortunately, there was nothing powerful about it. Yes, the man had read from the Bible, and yes, these words are of God, but the word of the Lord had not been spoken. This was just a man reading words off a page, and the words contained no power and life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. These were just words. In my opinion, the man above was not proclaiming God's word that is living and active from being anchored in this posture of faith, this ability to see, and this was very evident as his words were dry and lifeless. There are people who speak the word of God, and there are people who just speak the words. Elisha was a man who spoke the word of God, and we see this in his life. The next part of the scripture is awesome. Elisha models to the servant and to us just how this faith, the sight to see what exists in God, becomes a reality. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He turned to God and he prayed and asked God to open the eyes of his servant to see. And the Lord responded and did what Elijah asked of him. He didn't try and get his servant to muster up faith or whip faith up by some fleshly act. He didn't tell his servant to start quoting all these biblical words over his life to help with his fear, because he knew these words wouldn't be anchored in the very thing they needed to be anchored in, faith, to make any difference. No, he simply turned to the Lord and asked the Lord to open his servant's eyes to see, and this faith was birthed in the servant. This is how genuine faith is birthed in us. God reveals his truth, his reality, his life, his son in us. We receive it. We don't learn it or study it. We ask God to open our eyes to see what is already is. Ephesians 1.18 I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Once again, if we are going to imitate Paul, we need to live from this faith. Hearing is the key to faith. The Bible teaches us that this kind of faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. There is a kind of faith that is produced from a kind of hearing and a kind of hearing that comes by a certain kind of word, the word of Christ. And this comes from a kind of preaching. Being able to hear, believe, receive and accept God's word in the spirit is the key to this faith being formed within us. Trusting in God and faith in God are different things. 
Trust in God comes from knowing God through revelation, while faith is produced in us through hearing the living words of God. We must have complete trust in God's faithfulness if we want to come into this absolute posture of faith in Jesus. I believe we have confused trust and faith with one another and pretty much see them as the same thing. I suggest to us that trust in God is what we need when the measure of faith in God has yet to be formed to what he is calling us to. We are all to be coming into more and more of this deep-rooted conviction of faith in Christ and living from it. This is the way followers of Jesus are to live, and Paul is modeling this for us all, hence the imitating of his life. The final part of this passage of scripture are these words, who loved me and gave himself up for me. The motivation for Paul to live this reality out comes from the immovable fact that he knows that Jesus loves him and gave himself up for him. To come into the same reality where you have a deep-rooted conviction in you that Jesus gave himself up for you is transformational in nature. When we come into the realization of the love of our Heavenly Father and we taste his love for us, ourselves, our entire lives start to change. God's love revealed within us is the greatest catalyst for change that man can experience. It is a tangible reality that we must all know. To know you are loved and embrace with a love that is patient, kind, and gentle. A love that holds no wrongs, that is not jealous, and that believes and hopes all things will affect your life so much you won't even recognize who you once were. And you will naturally start to live by faith in Jesus as opposed to faith in yourself. Paul has received this love and because of this, he knows that Jesus gave his life up so he could experience the fullness of the life he was called and chosen for. Paul was determined to live this life out by faith and come into all that God had for him. Paul lived like this for the glory of God and the glory of the church. He lived his life by faith in Jesus, so all those he would come into contact with would do the same. All those people include us. So are we living our lives by faith in Jesus and no longer living our lives by faith or trust in ourselves or others? It's the receiving of this love that enables us to live a life of love, faith and hope, no longer living for ourselves, but walking with and living for his will.